You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. What we got here is a failure to communicate. Oh, have I got your attention now? Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. You know what I mean? Money to be made in a place like this. Money never sleeps, pal. You're crazy. Don't run when you lose. Don't whine when it hurts. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass, 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 brass. I'm falling, and I can't get up! Alright, welcome back to Money Never Sleeps, the show where we touch on everything and anything or anything and everything that impacts the flow of money from around the corner to around the world. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the potentially multi-billion dollar legalized, not illegal, now the illegal part of it is in the multi-billions, but the legalized cannabis industry. Uh, we are going to be joined by Matt Shotwell of Discovery's Weed Country. Uh, he's he's one of the foremost experts on this topic. That's why I wanted to bring him on the show to give his insight because he's been through it. Um, some may look at him or look at the show and think that, hey, it wasn't based on facts. But actually, Matt Shotwell is indeed a cannabis king. And he's lived through the turbulent times of police raids and you know so many different things. Um, so he's going to be giving his insight uh, a little bit later during the show, and I think that uh, I think you guys are gonna. Well, I think you're gonna like what he has to say. It's gonna. It's, it's just interesting. Interesting industry. Uh, and also, uh, let me tell everyone that I am now writing an exclusive uh, commercial real estate. Uh, uh, column or content, or I'm giving content, exclusive content for one of the fastest growing commercial real estate platforms out there for professionals. It's called Curb Street, and you can find it at curbstreet.com. It's a it's a major application, and it's set to be one of the leaders in information and technology for the commercial real estate industry. So make sure you you check out my articles if you are. Um, involved in the commercial industry and then uh, you can gain some further insight i try to help uh last week was a wet and wild ride in the markets and we're not going to get a lot into into individual stocks and you know what happened here what happened there we're not going to get into a lot of that during the show i'll you know i'll touch on it uh, but I'll leave the trading guidance to Pete Najarian and Jim Cramer on CNBC. That's what they do, and you can actually see their face. You can't see mine, uh, but they're good at what they do. What what they do, and they th- these are two Wall Street veterans that have insight that can be an asset to do- to those that are going to pay attention to them. Because listening is is one thing. You get you have to you know really pay attention so you can absorb it. And um, yeah, look. No one, no one person has a crystal ball, so I say this all the time, don't take the opinion of one person as the gospel, you know, but as an investor or a trader, you want to keep yourself well informed and learn about different perspectives from prominent, respected, and successful finance pros as these guys. Uh, you can catch Pete Nigerian on Fast Money, and you can catch Jim Cramer on Mad Money, so check them out. Uh, I want to touch on some general news in the international markets that I found pretty interesting. It looks as uh, though uh, there have been some um, uh, some leeway given to a lot of lenders that failed the uh, European Central Banks or the ECB's balance sheet test. And this is something that was done here, the, the litmus test, the stress test, uh, if you will. Um, out of 25 banks that were part of the sh- of that shortfall, only only eight of them uh, didn't satisfy the ECB strict requirements. Now, uh, this is based on a year-long audit, so this is not over a month; this is over a whole year. And the results just came out, so I just found this interesting. Uh, and hey, look, at least they're making it a point to do whatever they can to prevent the. Uh, a debacle like this from happening again, or at least, you know, the bank's involvement anyway. Uh, look, I mean, when when all that stuff happened, and let me just give my, my thoughts on this, it all comes down to greed and profits. The banks need to show profits, and this, the situation back then allowed them to do that to do that easily. 
And the bankers and the brokers, well, they wanted to get paid. They wanted the nice bonuses. They wanted the cash in the bank. So they let it happen. But now the governments have put those guidelines into place, which may make it harder for the banks to get as creative as they once used to be, well, what they used to do, what they were able to do. Uh, but this trickles down to the uh, first-time home buyers and the small businesses as well because you make it harder for banks to go and do certain things. You make it harder for banks to actually lend money. Uh, it's going to trickle down to those that actually need to borrow the money. And uh, listen, uh, it is it is, and it has been getting harder for them to get those first mortgages and even get the refinancing on their existing homes. It's an interesting time we live in. And every day is a learning process, so uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but anyway, we're, you know, we're going to see how everything plays out over the next 12 to 24 months. Uh, the one country, the one country that actually was extremely proactive is Sweden. And they topped the ECB's examination. You know, it's like they wanted to win. They, want to get, they wanted to get 100% or an A+. They made a commitment to have the world's strictest capital requirements for the banks. And now this makes things just some, somewhat interesting for the rest of the world because um, if, they're, if they're looking to set the standard, which it seems like they're trying to do, um, it's going to be pretty interesting to see you know, what countries may follow suit. No one may follow suit. I don't know. You know but it's Sweden, so you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, anyway, let's move over to Japan quickly. Uh, the big players out there are taking bets against Japan, uh, but the ones that really understand the history and, and see the signs, these are the people that have been through the wars, been through all that stuff, and they see the signs. What they're going to do is at a certain point, they're going to see all of this happening as a buying opportunity. You know, listen, when when the naysayers were saying all this stuff about the US markets they were saying the markets were horrible you got to get out you got to pull out everything's going to collapse we're going to go we're going to go under the you know the the market's going to go lower the bears came out to a party and year after year you continue to see a steady increase you know nothing goes up in a straight line you got the up and the down but it's pretty steady uh the reason for that is is that you know just just as in your personal life you don't listen to the naysayers, okay? In the global arena, you have to look at the, all the facts, the history and the future. Not not some doom and gloom pessimist. Man, you see them on, I don't care if it's CNBC, Fox, here, there, Bloomberg. You see them, and they, they're, they're, they're saying whatever they're saying. We're, we're in for, you know, they're looking. For, they might as well have a sign saying that the world is coming to an end. Repent, repent, repent. You know, come on, please, enough already. It makes for good TV, a good TV debate anyway. But, you know, it doesn't do much to help investors uh, make informed decisions. You know, they give them a view, which I guess is good uh, journalism, you know. Um, but, I mean, unless they're providing some hardcore facts and not just uh, their opinion, you know, I, I take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but I would also, uh, you know, it's also good to do your due diligence. You have to. Uh, even those that are busy, you know, make sure you have a good financial advisor that can do that for you because uh, you want them to provide you with the, the information. I'm not talking just about your, your, your run-of-the-mill broker, but someone that's actually going out there and giving you due diligence and, you know, making sure that you understand what's going on and they can put it in, in a way in layman's terms that you get it and that they're looking out at, they're looking out for your best interests and that, that's what it's about. All right. So uh, now let's move into uh, China. You know, China stocks, they posted the longest losing streak you know, year to date. This is the fifth day, actually, in a row that it fell. And this doesn't have much to do with slowing down uh, as it has more to do with the delay of the kickoff of the Hong Kong Shanghai Bourse Link. Look, you know, the world is becoming a smaller place. There's no doubt about that. We've seen it with the New York Stock Exchange, and uh, sooner or later, we will have one global trading platform that may just be open 24 hours. So, uh, up-and-coming traders, hey, man, you know, 
Uh, you guys may need to sleep faster or get some serious caffeine pills. And that can be a boost for the pharmaceutical industry. Who knows? Get you something that's going to keep you up for days at a time, you know, because that's probably what you would be looking at if you are a trader, unless you have uh, layers of trader. Layer, layers of traders on board handling certain things, but as a trader, you never want to leave your trade in somebody else's hand because you don't know what's going to happen. So uh, let, let's see. Hey, that's that's my view. This is something that they were talking, they've been talking about for a long time. Uh, so let's see if that ever comes to fruition. Now, it's um, just to stick on China for a second. Uh, China's one-year interest rate swaps. They traded. They traded near a two-week high. And that's because the the uh, the central bank over there, what they're looking to do is improve its policy. And what, by them improving their policy, it's going to be loosening up, you know, funds. It's loosening up money and and getting money out there. You know, if they loosen things up a bit, you know, uh, then they can put money to work. Maybe people can get loans and things of that nature, and it can get China moving in that direction. So this should be interesting. Once that starts to happen, uh, if, if they start doing that, you know, who knows uh, what's going to happen. But I guess we'll find out. Uh, Sweden. Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. Uh, Sweden Saab, they inked a deal with Brazil to develop and produce the 36 Gripen NG fighter. Oof, the planes are going. Uh, but this is a $5.4 billion deal. Which puts them back on back in play because they got uh, dropped like a hot potato by Switzerland. So this actually uh, replaces Switzerland. So that that is interesting. And uh, lastly, in uh, Indonesia, President Joko Widodo or Widodo, Widodo. We'll go with Widodo because that sounds a lot <laughs> sounds a lot better. Uh, anyway, uh, President Joko he went old school and he turned back the hands of time. Uh, by turning to the old guard and making, you know, some of them the new guard, you know, which, you know, it's a smart move because if you don't have the knowledge and you don't have the history and you don't have a lot of things in your favor, what do you do? If you're a smart person, you may not be the smartest person in the room, but you'll go and surround yourself with those smart people. So what he's done is surround himself with those with the experience that he doesn't have. And I always say it's better to have those people in your corner and trying to figure out how to figure it out yourself, because you're trying to figure it out yourself, uh, chances are that learning curve is going to be pretty steep. So it's better to, to save that pain, save that pain from happening. Uh, now, I want to move on to technology real quick. Uh, Silicon Valley is, they're not the only show in town anymore. And this is interesting. In New York has been gaining a lot of steam, but the next wave of big names... Uh, they look to be coming from an unlikely place, from Europe. You know, many technology entrepreneurs in Europe, what they've been doing, it's been the norm. Uh, they've been going to uh, San Francisco, they've been going to New York, they've been going to the private equity firms and the venture capital firms and the affluent investors over there, you know, like going to the Silicon Valley, coming to New York City and doing that. But those marathon meetings and race for cash in those areas is beginning to change for these startups. I'm going to tell you why. European investors, they're wising up. They're wising up because they, they're seeing so many U.S. investment firms that have made, not joking, literally billions of dollars in profits. Okay? In profits. That's a big P. By backing these startup companies. Uh, the one spotlight, the one spotlight is a new fund that actually came out of Germany, out of Berlin. Uh, it's called Early Bird Venture Capital. Uh, they raise about two hundred million dollars. It's a two hundred million dollar fund. I'm sure it's going to grow as the investments grow, of course. Uh, and it's focused on European startups. So now, instead of uh, really good European startups having to trek all the way to the states, they have a fund in Europe that they that has that that's flush with cash. And, you know, they have the desire to bankroll some great companies. So this is going to be interesting. And, again, the world gets a little bit smaller. And it's just, it's just to me, it's just um, interesting that their interest spans beyond Germany. Uh, they're looking at the U.K. They're even looking at Turkey as the Internet censorship begins to lift somewhat. So their, their, um, their impact is yet to be measured. 
But I, I, I suspect there's going to be substantial because now they're coming in with the funds to make stuff happen in their own backyard. Uh, just some fun facts. Venture capitalists in the U.S. have plugged in over $7.4 billion into European startups last year alone. And this, this, this sparked a light bulb. And, and those in Europe, as I said earlier, they were like, whoa, wait a second. Uh, you know, why, sh why, why uh, aren't European investors of funds backing their own countrymen? So beyond early bird VC, uh, you have UK-based uh, Boulderin, um Capital, and they launched a $300 million fund solely focused on European startups. So uh, the game is changing, and Silicon Valley is not the only game in town anymore. The world is getting smaller, and investors are getting smarter. So we will see how it all falls into place. And on that note, uh, we're going to have to take a quick break. And we we will be back with you um, right after these quick messages. So stick with us on Money Never Sleeps. This is Chef Gavin Murphy with your one-minute healthy cooking tip. A lot of people are more health conscious nowadays, especially when it comes to food. But did you know there are a lot of hidden calories and of all things, salad dressing? They're chock full of added sugars. But don't fret, I've got you covered. Try this quick and delicious salad dressing recipe. Grab a small Tupperware container with a lid and add a quarter cup of balsamic vinegar, two tablespoons of whole grain or Dijon mustard, a teaspoon of organic honey, pinch of salt and pepper and three quarters of a cup of olive oil. Pop the lid on and give it a good old shake. This is spot on for a beautiful summer salad and will keep in the fridge for weeks. For more healthy cooking tips and info, go to gavinmurphy.com. This is AP News Minute. Eight suspected Cuban migrants were rescued in the waters off Miami. U.S. Coast Guard received reports of an overturned raft in Biscayne Bay Monday morning. Three people were rescued by a boater, as officials searched for five more still unaccounted for. Thousands protested in Budapest, opposition of a proposed heavy tax on internet use by the government. Demonstrators held up mobile phones and threw computer parts at government buildings. The tax would enforce internet service providers to pay up to 62 cents per gigabyte of data downloaded by users. Extremists have tried to gain control of the Syrian border town of Kobani, as smoke was seen billowing from buildings. The Islamic State group launched its offensive to take Kobani in mid-September and has been battling Kurdish fighters ever since. 200,000 have been forced to flee to neighboring Turkey. And 22-year-old St. Louis Cardinals outfielder Oscar Taveras has died in his native Dominican Republic. Taveras crashed while driving on a highway after losing control of his vehicle. He had made his major league debut earlier this year. Emily Roseman, the Associated Press with AP News Minute. Welcome back to Money Never Sleeps, and let me just touch on this. Uh, we're seeing a slip in oil prices, but don't let that head fake sway you too much. Uh, look, until there is more broad-based green technology providing energy on a massive scale, we will need oil. There's no doubt about it. I've spoken about it on a few times on the show already. Uh, this will change in this decade, uh, That that's for sure. But right now, oil will trade up down probably you know we're looking right now it's at the lower end of the trading range and uh, i don't think that it's going to bounce too much lower uh, it's going to be interesting but as technology advances as as we're going to see uh, a change with that okay um now i want to look at gold you know i really see gold eh, probably at the thousand dollar per troy ounce uh bottom remember I, a few shows ago i gave a clinic on the troy ounce and how it's different than the regular ounce that we all know and love but i do see gold uh... there and at a max it may go to fourteen maybe fifteen hundred per troy ounce but you know i, I see a slip before a rise so i do see it going down to probably a thousand uh... now we're going to dive into real estate and i want to talk about a few things um, Let's see what we're going to talk about. Oh, I know what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Blackstone, uh, Blackstone Real Estate Group. Now, they have over $80 billion on the management, and what that means to you is that they have long hands and deep pockets. They have been doing a, a bulk of their transactions of their business in the United States and probably allocated 
close to $5 billion for European acquisitions. Now, their, their venture in the U.S. is not so much commercial properties, but they went on a warpath to gobble up as many REO and single-family deals as they could from buying portfolios from banks uh, to soaking up defaults by, by the dozens, buying notes and buying all this stuff. Uh, but they didn't just buy the property to hold on to them and say, hey, we have all this property. They, they, they did something interesting. They didn't you know, want to just go rent them out. Of course, they did rent out a number of them, but it was for a reason. They bought them to rehab them and then to sell them. And they made this into a successful business. They, they, built, they bought the properties, they rehabbed it, they rented it until the market went back up, and boom, they put them on the market to sell them. Smart move. Uh, a lot of the background noise uh, you know, about their business model and how it worked you know, I mean, there was a lot of noise about that, and they thought because they were selling them that they weren't doing well, but a lot of people don't get it. You know, how different is this than, than someone flipping a property? You buy a property, you flip it, you make a profit, right? It's not much different. It's just that, you know, they were, they were doing it, or they do it on a massive scale. They're not buying one house, they're buying a thousand. Um, but it does show that the business model works uh, for now. But I do know that they, they, will be, they will be changing their formula because as the markets change, uh, they'll be diving into other areas of real estate because this fund wasn't meant uh, to be one-dimensional. So we should see some impact in 2015 coming from Blackstone. So we've got to keep an eye on that one. Now let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, according to certain reports uh, coming from Brian Murdy, he is the National Director of Marcus and Millichap Senior Division. Now, what he's saying is that the senior housing arena seems to be booming across the board. Booming! They use the word booming. Uh, some of these reasons include the action in the stock market, giving seniors a level of some type of comfort and unlocking the equity in their homes to secure the uh, continuing uh, care services, such as a senior care facility. Now, I know that certain REITs are looking for such assets, but it's interesting as when senior, when senior housing is purchased by a REIT, uh, let's just break this down just slightly. You're not buying a property. You are buying a business with the property. It's kind of like buying a hotel, but a little more intense than that. And that means that you have to run it as a senior facility. You have to you're buying a business, so you know the um, you know the rates on that and how that balances out. You know you can't just go with a traditional cap rate. There's a lot more involved with that, uh, and it's much different than buying an office or a strip mall. I mean, you understand the dynamics as it's real estate based with leases and maintenance, and you can do the math pretty simply if you have if you have that information. Uh, but with senior housing. There are so many things involved, and every state is different. So I'm really not sure how the acquisitions of such properties or situations would heat up as much as they're saying they are. You know, I, I don't know if it's more hype than anything. Um, but between the laws, uh, dealing with Social Security benefits and health care, all that stuff, the list goes on and on. There are a lot of things to take into consideration uh, when looking at that, of course, you have some investment groups that specialize in this arena, but I personally don't see this as being the big boom that Murdy says it will be or is right now. You know, I, I again, there are a lot of things to consider, a lot of things to absorb when uh, when dealing with a senior housing situation. You know, if that was your business and you were in a particular state, I understand, I get it. You understand the laws, you understand what you're dealing with. If you're doing things state to state. Everything's different. You're dealing with the local government, the federal government. You're dealing with this. You're dealing with that. You're dealing with this and that and this and that. So just a lot to absorb. All right. Now, I want to uh, I want to go over a few things in the commercial real estate arena. Uh, let's start with Dallas, the Dallas area. That's heating up. And this just shows how, how much it is heating up. Arlington-based Skywalker Property Partners. They owned uh, they owned the old uh, Brothers Candery factory. Uh, that 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 factory is probably about 111 years old, and they sold it to Flint Hills Development in an unsolicited, unsolicited off-market transaction. I love off-market transactions. They get they get done quietly and they get done. Uh, the location 
1401 South Herbe Street. Now, uh, this is in the Cedars neighborhood on the south side of downtown Dallas, and you have access to uh, I-30, which makes it uh, premium. Uh, Skywalker was in the middle of uh, a plan to convert the five-story building, and they were going to convert it into residential. Uh, but, you know, they, you know, they bought, they bought, um, you know, they brought, they bought, I guess the, the, the units that they had, uh, there that they were going to do when Flint, um, when Flint came in and offered to do it, you know, they, they, the offer was so good that they had to sell. So Flint came in and bought it. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and repositioning the building to a residential, uh, situation is interesting, really interesting, uh, because there there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of redevelopment activity in the Cedars neighborhood. Uh, so, you know, if you're not familiar with the uh, Cedars, uh, it is one of Dallas's oldest neighborhoods, and this is this is this particular factory shut down about 14 years ago. And it sits at dead center to a number of entertainment destinations. So, uh, Skywalker, hey, look, you know, they were going to reposition the building and convert it into residential, you know, but I guess, you know, the offer they got from Flint was an offer they couldn't refuse, you know, so you can expect that, uh, that, uh, either rental units or, I guess, depending on what they're going to do, or condos, whatever they're going to do, will be developed, uh, soon enough by Flint. Uh, they are, sh they're sure going to be, I know they're going to have to, they, I mean, in order to do it, it would make sense, um, if they had, if they had tax credits, I'm sure they're going to be taking advantage of any tax credits they can get. And, you know, possibly, cause I know in Texas, you have that historic preservation tax credit. They may be uh, taking advantage of that. And depending on what they're eventually going to do, uh, they may be eligible for employee tax credits. So, you know, I know it's not a, uh, an empire zone or anything like that, but it can be very interesting because they, you know, they will be creating some jobs along the way. Uh, now let's zip to Chicago. Uh, another major market turning upwards after two years and over $94 million. What wound up happening is that you had, um, well, the 95, 94, 95 million dollars. That's at least what's on file. Uh, but, uh, Aventus Realty Trust, with the direction from Cushman Wakefield, they were snatching up, uh, some property. They snatched up additional, an additional 620,000 plus square feet of Class A office buildings. And that's called the Columbia Center. And this is a prime example of the continued growth in, in the commercial arena uh, in uh, major markets across the nation. This was a deal that uh, was two years in the making, you know, but good things come to those who wait. So for Adventus, this brings their total portfolio, I'm going to say north of uh, 2.1 million square feet from what I get, what I gather. And for those that were paying attention to last week's show, I mentioned that not only China, but Russia and Canada-based investment companies are gobbling up U.S. assets. Well, guess what, guys? This is one of them. Adventus is based in Vancouver, Canada. And there you have it. All right, now to New York. Uh, this isn't a huge deal, but I found it interesting nonetheless. Uh, Madison Realty uh, Capital, a small and you know investment firm, uh, they completed the acquisition of a West Chelsea Elevator Building. And it's a residential building, of course, six stories, not a walk-up. Woohoo! a relief for the residents. They have an elevator. Uh, it's approximately 30,000 plus square feet of, uh, of space. Um, and the reason I say um, that this 36-unit residential building is interesting is because with the High Line in full swing and there are a number of residential towers being erected uh, as we speak. You know, because they, they use the, the area of West Chelsea and everything. I mean, you have one real Chelsea. And now with the advent of West and East and this and that, they're creating little sub-neighborhoods around there because the real Chelsea... You're, you're prevented from, uh, building certain, um, building above a certain, uh, height. 
you know, you have a lot of, uh, you have historic preservation, you have height restrictions, everything else. But on the other end, where I guess where they're considering West, West Chelsea, that you can actually build up. So it's, it's interesting. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I think that, you know, what they did, you know, the, I mean, the area is increasing in value and it's going to continue to increase. And I don't see that momentum slowing down on the commercial development end. You know, so Madison, uh, you know, they may, they, they may have, have had, uh, made a good score on this one, uh, for the price tag of about $22 million. Now, next week, we're going to touch on some other areas that are booming uh, throughout the United States. And I feel as as the growth is not going to slow down because you have more and more, um, you, you, have, you have more and more. The government is, is trying to figure out how to get small business in motion and create more viable jobs. Commercial And commercial real estate does that. You know, what it does, you know, when you're building office spaces and warehouse, industrial, all this stuff, you know, you're creating jobs. You're creating jobs, you know, because you have somewhere for business to actually be and jobs are created. So we're going to touch on that next week and some more uh, things next week. So it's going to be interesting. On that note, we're going to be taking a short break. And we're going to come back with Discovery Channel's uh, Weed Country star, Matt Shotwell, as we touch on cannabis and, uh, and much more. So stick with us on Money Never Sleeps. We'll be right back. Your platform for success. Chosen by industry leaders worldwide. Curve Street. Advanced real estate technology. Hi, my name is Peter May of London Central Properties and we're based in Cavendish Square which is close to Regent's Park. The majority of my work experience has been in sales, in particular the hotel and hospitality industry both in the UK and overseas. London Central Properties is an established company with a global presence and a high reputation for service and discretion. We specialize in the sale of high-value, off-market apartments, houses, hotels, and investments. We have recently opened a new division specializing in the provision of service departments which cover the full spectrum from budget to exclusive. These apartments are suitable for both leisure and corporate clients and are located in the key areas of London including Mayfair, Knightsbridge, Kensington and Bayswater. For further information, please refer to our website, which is www.londoncentralproperties.com. We have now established an exclusive partnership with the host of Money Never Sleeps, Mr. Louis Velasquez. Welcome back to Money Never Sleeps, and we are set to bring on our special guest. We're talking cannabis, we're talking about the business, we're talking about legalization, we're talking about it all, and he is the cannabis king. So straight from Discovery Channel's Weed Country, let's bring Matt Shotwell on the show. Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky, little boxes on the hillside, little boxes on Matt, how's it going? Uh, welcome to Money Never Sleeps. How's it going over there? Oh, it's going great, man. I'm blessed. Can't complain. Thanks for uh, having me on the show, dude. Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a busy schedule and you have a lot of things going on, but you know your input on the cannabis industry and, and what's going on and with the possible job creation and, 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 and all that stuff uh, is important. It's all those things, man. It's uh, it's a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but I'm um, doing my part and uh you know, hopefully the little things that I do and, you know, contribute to the bigger picture of the cannabis movement in some way. That's the plan. Well, I mean, this, this is something that has been uh, kind of developing, you know, and people have been pushing for it, you know, with the legalization of, of marijuana for, for a number of reasons. You know, um, you, I mean, people know you from Weed Country on, on uh, TV, which is pretty cool. 
and uh, but you actually do this in real life. <laughs> yeah, that is true. A lot of people always wonder, is it real or not real? And I'm like, well, everything about me in the show is real, and the things that I went through is real. But, you know, there's television elements that, you know, sometimes are alive, but that's standard in any reality TV show. You know, we want, we want to make it a good a good uh good show for the viewer you know what i mean sometimes documentaries are are boring and full-on reality is too fake and so we kind of have that elementary uh docu-series kind of thing going on with weed country so it's a good hybrid yeah well it's good but it paints a picture of what really is out there though because this this stuff really happens yeah i mean i'm just uh you know, I'm just one of thousands of people that have been raided. You know what I mean? I just was lucky enough to have a camera crew following me and all of my pursuits before I was raided because my goal was to make a marijuana reality show. And so I had a camera crew following me for like two years. And uh, it finally paid off when the DEA and the police department showed up and uh, I got to document it all. So I kind of just feel lucky to be able to be the voice for thousands of people that have been raided, been to jail, been falsely, you know, accused of committing crimes and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I speak for a lot of people, I hope. I know my situation was unique with a dispensary and all, but a lot of people have gone through a lot of crap. So. Well, it's kind of like, and I, and I made uh, last week on the show, I was talking about, you know, uh, you had Prohibition, you had the Volstead Act, and what when they were trying to ban alcohol and the stuff that happened, and you saw this all the people that went to jail for a long time during that period, and and here right now you have people that that spent, I mean you have some people that probably spent ten twenty years in jail for marijuana, you know, so it's yeah. it's, it's interesting how things develop. It is, you know, and uh, that breaks my heart to hear that there's people in jail right now for marijuana and you know hopefully before President Obama gets out of office he'll you know do the right thing and make some executive order that might be asking a lot of them but you know I think that would uh I think that's the right thing to do is to let let people with nonviolent crimes that are in jail for just cannabis things out. Yeah I and mean, if you think about it, you know it's not it's not a violent it's not a violent crime at all. You know, you know, people, you know, you have, you know, you, you, you make something illegal, you can have a lot of smuggling going on. You can have a lot of people trying to, you know, capitalize on it. This is how you had a lot of, uh, you know, mobsters back in the, in the 20s, you know, they became wealthy and they became powerful because of prohibition. Yeah, if you make something, you know, restrict its access to people, it gains value, you know, supply and demand. So... You know, if they just tax and regulate and don't litigate, um, it would be a much different uh, landscape yeah. regarding, you know, crime and commerce and all those factors. Yeah, when well, I th- you know, slowly, the change is slow. Yeah. Well, I think people have a twisted perception of the cannabis movement. You know, they think it's a whole people, a whole bunch of people that just want to get high and that's it. You know, but it's more than that. And maybe you can kind of like uh, give us some broad strokes on that. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of new people are entering the business, which are kind of, I know and hope, are watering down the stereotypes that have been, you know, carried on for the last 20 years. Like you mentioned, people just want to get high. It's a big party. You know, people that can't do anything else are just doing it. And there are some of those people, but that's in every industry. There's sure. bad apples in every industry. So I think we have an uphill battle to uh, prove to the American public that this is a good business. It can be a good business if we just uh, work on it. You know, we just put some effort into regulation and some oversight and education. You know, my role in that's education through entertainment. Um, some people agree with that, some people don't. But, you know, that's just my, you know, course of action is, you know, through entertainment. Well, I mean, but Change people's, uh, or at least open their, open their minds and get the discussion going. So... Well, I mean, I think it's a smart thing because, again, with the show, you know, you're just showing stuff that actually really does happen, and it gives a different, you know, uh, perspective so people kind of understand that, hey, you know, you have good people that are doing certain things, and these are the reasons why they're doing it, and so on and so forth. You know, it kind of kind of walks you through because I remember watching the show. It kind of walks you through certain things with the with the farmers and everything else, and what they do, and the old timers, which made me laugh. They've been doing it for like a hundred years, um, but it gives them, you know, it gives them a little reality of, of what's out there because a lot of people aren't exposed to this. 
Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's kind of like a foreign country up there, mood country, in that you know they live, a, they have a certain way of life that is uh, different than ninety percent of how America lives their life. I mean, their most of their economy, ninety percent of the economy up there is reliant on cannabis, um, either directly or indirectly, and mm-hmm. so that is just a way of life that is that is foreign to so many people, but it's working and it is sustaining and employing you know, tens of thousands of people generating billions of dollars in cannabis that gets shipped and sent all over the country. So um, I think people are finally starting to, you know, see the light like, hey, man, maybe we should start paying attention to this cannabis business and, you know, stop ignoring it because it's not going away. We just, let's just figure it out, you know? Yeah, it's here and, and the way, you know, look, and I talked about it last week on the show as well, that this is potentially, you know, a multi-billion dollar revenue generating business. And it, and you you you're doing a few things, and you're you're creating jobs because you are you're creating jobs because people have to work and they 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 they're working in the cannabis arena, uh you're paying paying taxes, and basically you know you're you're helping to grow the economy just in a unique way. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. That was always one of my um, biggest talking points. It's you know it's all about the jobs for me. Um, people are, don't have places to work, especially in my city in Vallejo. There's just not really any economy there, and now there's 30-some dispensaries. And so, you know, there's, there's bud tenders, there's security guards, there's secretaries. Um, and we all know this time of year, crops over, there's, you know, people come from all over the country to be a, to just to trim and be a trimmer up in weed country in Humboldt, and they'll stay on a farm for, you know, months at a time, trimming up hundreds of pounds of weed, you know. And and they're get, they're getting paid. They have a job, and they're serving a purpose, and is helping to kind of you know move that that machine a little further, you know. And it's just interesting how the legality uh, of the whole deal falls into place because you know they may be uh, legal in the state statewide, uh, state wise, but federal they're not. So it's it's kind it's kind of odd on on how. They would try to fix this. I don't know how they would, but somebody should do something. Yeah, well, I think it's going to have to come down to some type of executive order from the yeah. president on the way out, or yeah. you know, him, you know, the DEA rescheduling cannabis would be a huge, huge thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, the next two years are going to be interesting. Other states are coming along. Florida's talking about it. You know, Maryland just uh, on October 1st. Uh, I believe 10 grams, you can be in possession of up to 10 grams, and it's just a ticket in the state of Maryland, which yeah. is uh, just great, because I'm from Virginia, and that's just a, right, a hop over the, you know, right over the border there. So, you know, state by state, one domino at a time. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely a little-by-little little situation. You know, I, I do know that the states that do have this legalized, you know, you, you go and you see how they have everything set up. It's set up as a business. Because it is a business. You're set up as a business, and you're, you want to pay your taxes, you want to employ people, and you do it in a way that's not someone selling it on the corner. Yeah, that's the, uh, we're trying to get away from that whole thing. And I think people just have the whole not-in-my-backyard uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I support dispensaries and people having access, but I don't want the pot shop in my backyard for my kids to see or in my city. It's like the whole nuclear reactor. Everybody wants cheap, cheap, good, clean power, but nobody wants the nuclear power plant in their, in their town. Right. You know, so um, people are just going to have to get used to it, and uh, it's going to take some time. You know, people well, are hesitant to change, and they believe what they believe. So we have a responsibility in the cannabis community to try to maybe put our best foot forward and um, change those perceptions. Well, I think that's going to have to happen, you know, and I go back, and I'm going back to Prohibition, you know, when when the Volstead, when the Volstead Act was, in, you know, enacted, you know, it had to do with religious groups pushing and saying that alcohol was the devil, and they pushed for that, you know, and that that's part of what's probably holding back, you know, the legalization of uh, of cannabis, you know, throughout the United States. Well, yeah, I would agree with you. And there's a lot of people that have an interest in keeping cannabis illegal. And some of them are ones that you wouldn't even think at first. I mean, I know a lot of attorneys that uh, 
would prefer it stay illegal because they are cannabis attorneys. And as soon as you legalize it, there goes a large chunk of their customer base. Mm -hmm. So they have no interest in, in legalizing it unless they can, you know, restructure the type of law that they practice and, and start focusing on, like, you know, business law for marijuana business instead of criminal defense yeah. over marijuana. So it's going to take a shift in mindset from, from lose, people across the whole scope of the industry. Yeah, you're going to lose a lot of souls. <laughs> no more breaking bad there. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, but, but yeah. Yeah, no more souls. Yeah, you know, but you're right about that because at the end of the day, you know, when things change, you know, you got lawyers, you got, you got other, you know, uh, other entities that do will lose business. So yeah, I, I can see that as being one of the uh, stops in it. But you know, I, I don't, I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think that they can keep stopping this. I think at some point, some someone has to pull the trigger because you know, you're talking about adding to the economy, adding jobs where people don't want to work at McDonald's, but they can go make a good living there. And and I and this is what I believe too. If someone is in the cannabis business, they're making money. Like you look at uh, Cheryl Schumann. All right, she's a Beverly Hills cannabis queen, right? So, right. you know, but when you're in this business, you there's a, there's a thing, and I know there's a thing of diversification, where you already know that you're going to get that money and you're going to put it to work elsewhere. So now you're creating other business, small business, things like that. And I think a lot of things, positive things, can come out of it. Absolutely. I mean, I um, my my business was doing really well, and I employed about you know five to 15 people depending on, you know, the season. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were also able to hire a camera crew, you know what I mean? And, uh, that was what resulted in weed country being started and partnering with other producers. And, you know, if you got cash flow, you can, uh, you can make things happen, not just in cannabis. You can spin it off into other kind of businesses too, you know? Yeah, and then you become the Mark Cuban of the cannabis industry. <laughs> You know, yeah, you have like a Shark Tank type of thing, and then and also with the cannabis industry, what's happening now? You have a lot of startup companies that are being developed to create things for the cannabis industry. Yeah, the picks and the shovels is where a lot of people like to make their money, and it's a great business model because it's you don't have the legal liability. Um, you're not really on the front lines, you know. It's like on a gold rush. It's not so much the gold panthers that made all the money. It's the people selling the picks and the shovels and the blue jeans and things like that. So the garden supply stores, you know, the trimmers, the Home Depots, you know, those places are all they're all cash in too. Uh, the ancillary uh, supporting businesses of the marijuana industry. Yeah, but nobody talks about that stuff. But meanwhile, that's also helping the economy. It is. I mean, where people people are building these grow rooms, they got electricians and plumbers and HVAC guys and you know. There, people are being put to work, and I think people just don't realize how much of the economy, at least in California and these other states, is is uh, stimulated by the cannabis industry. But they're going to learn. Well, they're going to learn. No, and I think that that's going to come to light because a lot of people don't talk about that. You know, when you have like housing's booming now, when that slows down, right. what happens? Again, as you said, the electricians, the, the plumbers, the this, the that. You know, they need work. So now you're creating situations where they they're getting to work and to do other things beyond, you know, your, your, your construction and stuff and having little repairs, they're actually able to build, uh, build these, um, I guess these, these units to, to grow cannabis. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of, uh, laborers and people in, in, in different trades that, um, they do side work out for people in the marijuana business, you know, um, they're a professional electrician by day. And then on the weekends, they wire up grow rooms, you know, for cash under the table. If the cities would just put in a permitting and uh, permitting process to have the city inspector come by and they can pay their little fee, I think a lot of people in the industry would be glad to have their basement grow certified by their city and pay them a couple hundred bucks and not have to worry if they're going to come. You know, let, let everyone participate and contribute. And so it doesn't have to be so adversarial and cagey, you know, like, oh, I'm trying to hide. I don't want anyone to know that I'm growing. There's a lot of that fear um, in, in in the industry, and it doesn't really help anything. No, I mean, the thing is, I mean, do you blame them? Nobody wants to go to jail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just got to get that. There's that sort of Damocles that's, like, always hanging over the head of people in the marijuana industry. It's like, when is it going to drop? And, you know, when, when do you go to jail? It's not a matter of, 
if, it's like when, depending on what state you're in, what, you know, how big you are. And, you know, I, you know, I was the, uh, the result of that myself. Yeah. Um, and, it's and not it, fun. No, and it, and it happens. And then one other, one other, one other thing with, uh, with legalizing cannabis that it'll stop the smuggling of that from out of the country here. Yeah, you know, Mexico, uh, they, they send a lot of crappy weed into the middle of America. And, uh, you know, we produce the best cannabis in the world here in America. You know, we should be sending it into Kentucky, not the cartels. And the majority of the cartels' finances comes from marijuana. A large, large portion of it comes from marijuana. And if we can just take that away and then that, that would cripple them in a way. But a lot of people don't see it that way. No, but you know what? Because no one wants to. They they want to see. Oh, well, you're going to destroy our youth. You're going to destroy our children. Just because something's legalized doesn't mean they can do it. If it's legalized, more so they won't do it because it's no fun to do something that's legal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always that um, that lure and luster of you know it's illegal, so I want to try it. You know. Yeah, yeah that, that's so. that, that's that's what it is. But you know, Matt, I, you know, uh, you've been. Uh, how many seasons did you do uh, Weed Country for? Say that again. How Let's many seasons? Uh, Weed Country. How many seasons? Uh, we just did the one season. It was just a six-episode series. That's uh, all it was. It was uh, designed to be. And um, what I'll be following up with is something called the Shotwell Chronicles, and it's just going to be more of a YouTube series following me. Mm-hmm. And my contourage and what we do in the cannabis industry, you know, work, play, social, home life, business life, and just, you know, basically just following me around because people are always asking me, what are you up to? What's it like? What do you do every day? So I was like, well, you know what? Let's just put little three minute mini minisodes together. And so that's my current um, follow up because Discovery Channel just decided they only wanted to do one season of it. And that's all they wanted to do. And so, um, you know, on to the next project. And, uh, so I'm pitching some other television shows uh, this month, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully I will have some good news for you in about a month, and I can come back on the show and tell you what's going on. Yeah, but I'm working on a show with my family out of Virginia, but it doesn't have anything to do with marijuana. It's just about the family business. So okay. I'm hoping that that show gets picked up, and then I can put the whole Shotwell family on TV. Oh, my God. That's going to be crazy. That's going to be crazy. Get everybody out there. <laughs> But yeah, I want to put the whole family on. You know, I got to share the limelight a little bit. And I've come from a family of uh, entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. small business people, and so um, that's how I learned how to run a small business, which I carried over into the dispensary mm-hmm. operations. And um, so now I'm going to try to get a television show about my entire family business. Mm-hmm. It's called all the, the, the working titles "Restoring the Shotwells," but it's about our furniture and antique restoration business in mm-hmm. Virginia that my family's had since 1973, about 40 years. And I worked there, all my siblings worked there, all my aunts and uncles, and, you know, standard drama ensues at a small out of family business, you know, bickering between siblings and relatives and things like that. So um, I'll let you know here within the month if uh, we get picked up and which network we'll be on. Oh, well, you get, I, well, I, I have no doubt you're going you're gonna to have some positive news, and we're going to bring you back on to talk about it. Now, the and, and congratulations on that, you know, and on doing that. See, again, a lot of people have it. They just have the whole cannabis industry twisted because if, you know, you have entrepreneurs that are jumping in here and there's a lot of money to be made and hopefully they'll go and and make the right decision to do it the right way because if you don't regulate it, it's going to get done anyway. Regulate it. Put people to work. That was my phrase. That was my phrase. Don't litigate. Tax and regulate. There you go. That's been laid city council many, many times, and they seem to like that little catchy phrase. Don't litigate. Tax and regulate. It makes sense. Yeah, you know? I like it. Well, they, they, they so, you know, you know, Congress and Senate, they like money. You know, the politicians like the money coming into the community. So there you go. Doesn't mean that everyone's yeah, going to be a pothead. You know, that's 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 the reality. Yeah, and uh, my next my next thing that I'm doing is uh, I'm doing my first international gig. I'm speaking at the Canafest in Prague, Czech Republic, on November 8th. Oh, they nice. just asked me to be a speaker. And last year, uh, Steve D'Angelo, director of Harborside Health in Oakland, the biggest dispensary in America, everyone's probably seen it. They were on Weed Wars before Weed Country. Mm-hmm. He was their speaker last year, and this year they've asked me to be uh, their speaker. So I'm flying out there on the 5th of November. And uh, I got to put together a little speech. I'm going to be talking to them about how to lobby your local legislature or your um, city governments on legalization and 
you want to know what I did and what the formula was and what worked and what didn't work. So it's good that people are asking questions and I feel good about being able to share my experiences. And overseas is uh, going to be another whole thing, so it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you've been to Amsterdam, I know, because I, I know I have, and that's an interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting how they deal with it over there. And they, they make they, it is. It's an ongoing social experiment, and um, you know, it doesn't seem like the world's caving in and crumbling. You know, so I think everyone just needs to take a deep breath and relax. Everybody's calm over there. <laughs> yeah, everyone's chilled out. I know. Everybody's I know. chilled. <laughs> Everyone needs to have more of the Colorado mindset, I think, across the country. Things would be a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, on, on the, the, the Chronicle deal you're doing, how uh, can people watch that? So we, um, the first mini-series will be coming out here in about a month, and uh, it'll be on YouTube. And um, once I get the first couple of mini-series out, I'll come back on here and tell you where uh, where people can watch it. It'll just be on YouTube, free for everybody. Um, so that's where. All right, cool, cool. Then we'll bring you on. You'll, you'll, of course, you'll have an open invite to come talk about this stuff, you know. But I know you have a lot of things to do there, Matt. So I don't want to hold you, you know. But I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about the uh, the cannabis industry and talking about the stuff that you're you're doing. But we're gonna have you on. Um, we're gonna have you on when you when you come out with the uh, the Shotwell uh, family uh, deal, you know. After you get everything done, come on. We're gonna talk about that. Maybe bring one of your family members on the show. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. So I'll just stay in touch when I get back from the uh, Canafest overseas. Um, I'll let you know how it went, and we'll, we'll chop it up, and I'll keep you guys in the loop on what I'm up to. Excellent, excellent. All right, uh, Matt, stay with us. And for our listeners, just uh, stay with us as well. We're going to be back on Money Never Sleeps right after this quick break. So I want to urge all my fellow New Yorkers, pay attention to the facts. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to hype. So let me explain. The personnel at Bellevue right now, go through, uh, by the way, extraordinary training for this kind of situation. They've gone through specific training for Ebola. They take extraordinary precautions. Uh, they then, at the end of their shift, go home to their communities. Uh, the only way that there would even be a cause for concern is if one of them were to have any symptoms. To date, none have. I think one of the things to acknowledge here is this is a, you know ever-changing situation and all levels of government are adjusting their strategies at all times. We have to be smart about how we do it. Again, what happened with Nurse Hickox was unacceptable and was unfair to her and disrespectful to a hero. By any normal logic and by the numbers, the vast majority of people in this context of this country's healthcare system who provided care had no negative impact from providing care, went on about their lives, interacted with their families and community, there's been no consequence. Your platform for success. Chosen by industry leaders worldwide. Curve Street. Advanced real estate technology. Hi, everyone. John and Pete Nigerian here at the NASDAQ with some news you do not want to miss. As option floor traders, CNBC contributors, and co-founders of OptionMonster.com, people always want to know our secrets for trading the options. So we wrote an entire book on it. A limited and today, number of these to books the book for launch, free. We're giving away a limited number of these books for free. Learn how free. you can use options like we do to make more income with less capital. Learn how you can use options like we do to make more income with less capital. To reduce your investment risks. And to make money regardless of which way the market's moving. It's all right here in this book. And today, we're giving it away to you for free. And today, we're giving it away to you for free. Equity all right welcome back to money never sleeps and that's gonna wrap it up for this week uh, i think we covered a lot of stuff and you know we're gonna get into the cannabis industry uh additionally uh in the coming weeks and we're gonna i, I said this on a couple of shows back that we're gonna start uh we want to bring some people on to actually speak about the sb5 uh, situation so we want to bring on uh some authorities on that as well all right, so this is what we're going to be hopefully lining up uh, soon. 
Uh, but I want to, I want to give a little shout out to, um, to my team. Uh, my, my national team, a lot of great people uh, coming along. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be doing a lot of great things out there. So I appreciate their, uh, the dedication. I appreciate, um, all the work that they're about to do and that they are doing. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, an amazing ride. All right. But, uh, anyway, uh, that's about it for, uh, this show. And make sure you join us next week as we bring on another interesting guest and some, we're going to be adding some other components to this, uh, to the show, um, to make it more of value to our listeners. Okay. Thank you for tuning in and we'll be back with you next week and, uh, hope that everyone has an extremely profitable week and, uh, we'll be back here. Same bad time, same bad channel. Initiating shutdown sequence. You're listening to UCW Radio in your face. What is your major malfunction? Oh, let it be written. So let it be done. Ladies and gentlemen, my mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you.